This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 203, Hero Worship. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I am an android. Really, Ken. Really. Well, I am fully functional. Hey, that's not from this episode. <laughs> Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. Ray, by the way. I'm Ken Ray. Uh, each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, uh, looking into it for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode stands the test of time. This week... Hero Worship, the one where Data builds an android offspring. Really, John? Really? Uh, no, not, not not, really, but but kind of. OMG, I, go with me. LAL, you're doing the whole, I know what you're doing, but that was a different uh-huh. one. Is it LAL yeah. or LOL? I can't remember. Lol. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lol, please come Mr. over. Mr. Lol. Yeah, no, he he doesn't he doesn't build a robot offspring this time or an android offspring, but he does make uh, uh, somebody's offspring the best darn android they can be. Mm-hmm. That's what I hope for you one day, Ken. <laughs> that's, that is so what I'm hoping for me too, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what else I'm hoping that people What's will? That? Well, I'm hoping that people will join us for a moment as we uh, as we journey into a world of teeny tiny starships, uh, all of which can be theirs. That's true, and and you said kind of the magic words. Uh, we actually got an email from our friend and listener Stephen, and it was, I believe, it was titled "Tiny Little Spaceships." Nice. <laughs> and Steve, Steve sent us a picture of his Enterprise seventeen oh one refit, and it's like next to a one of those plasma lamp things. It's all yeah. purple and and spindly. Oh man, was it cool! I love that. I thought, it was so great. That is going up into our gallery of pictures of teeny tiny spaceships the one made by eagle moss on our website at missionlog.com and we're talking about the official star trek starships collection of authorized official starship models from cbs studios um you know you and i could go on all day long and some people might accuse us yes. of going on all day long i think they have about a time how too. cool yeah they have about how cool the teeny tiny spaceships are um they are incredible really what we say can't do it as much justice as you holding one in your hands and they have made it extraordinarily easy for you to do exactly that why don't you tell us how our listeners can do that ken well they go to st-starships.com slash mission log st-starships.com uh, gets them to where the ships are, and then Mission Log lets them know, hey, the whole reason I'm here is because of the guys over at Mission Log, which we would appreciate. And then uh, and then the way you start is with the Enterprise 1701D, uh, and, and that is $4.95. That'll get you the ship, it'll get you a stand, it'll get you a magazine all about the Enterprise 1701D, and it'll get you a digital download of that magazine as well. So no dog ears, no, no, no underlining, you know, anything. Just, just mm-hmm. you take the magazine, you put it uh, like under a stack of like 15 other magazines. So nothing happens to it, <laughs> but then you got the digital download to play with all day long. Um, well, not play with, you got the digital download to look into. And, and those magazines really are, those magazines really are something I could see collectors being excited just about the information that's in the magazines themselves. So I, I know that you love that yeah, stuff. I thought it was um, fantastic. Yeah. Reading about yeah. the, uh, Reading the ones that I've read, I, I was I was amazed at the stuff that I learned about ships that, you know, I already knew a little bit about, but I learned a whole lot more, both in-universe stuff and real-world stuff, uh, production stuff. Here's the best part. Once you get your Enterprise 1701D for only four ninety five, the fun doesn't end there. They will keep sending you spaceships until you have no more room for spaceships. <laughs> it's just nineteen ninety five. You'll get two shipments a month with your teeny tiny, beautifully rendered spaceships, and you can start all of that at st starshipscom log. Be sure to tell them that we sent you. You know, we 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 would appreciate that, <laughs> and they love knowing that too. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and uh, and we do, of course, thank them uh, for supporting this week's episode of Mission Log. Speaking of Mission Log. Uh, there are so many ways to get in touch with us, and we would love it if you would use any or all of them. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 
323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. You know, we always love hearing their voices, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we absolutely do. Absolutely. Yeah. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. We love reading your emails, too. Our show website, including Discover Documents. Oh, we love when you go to our website. <laughs> our website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And if you toss a little trivia in there, heck, you may even hear that, too. Just like you're about to hear a bunch of trivia right now from Mr. John Champion. All right, Ken, today's trivia for Hero Worship the Story is by Hillary J. Bader. Now, we saw Hillary's name once before with The Loss, which is why you'll notice a callback to a species first named in that episode. She has one more upcoming next-gen episode, plus some Voyager and Deep Space Nine. And we mentioned before that she kind of specialized in genre storytelling with credits in Batman animated, uh, Lois and Clark, Xena, uh, and much more. Her career was cut short when she passed away after a fight with cancer in 2002. The Gotham Girls episode, Cold Hands, Cold Heart, was dedicated to her memory. Now, the script for today's show is by Joe Minoski, and of course, we discussed Joe before, starting on Next Gen with his script for Legacy, followed by Clues, many, many more. Uh, We discussed his rather humorous IMDb bio and the fact that he continued to work with his Next Gen co-writer, Brandon Braga, on Salem. His name will keep turning up, even on a little show called Star Trek Discovery. What? Hmm. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? I've never heard of Star Trek Discovery. That's like, that sounds like far future business. It does. It does. I don't even know what it was. I just wrote it down. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds good. I'll, <laughs> I'll keep that in trivia. It's got star in the title. How bad can it be? <laughs> right. Uh, today's episode is directed by Patrick Stewart. Um, he's an actor. Mm, I've heard of actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they are directors, too. Now, we mentioned before the episodes of The Next Generation that aired the week of Gene Roddenberry's death and then the episodes that carried the In Memoriam tribute graphic. Uh, This episode is the one that was being filmed at the time that Gene died. Now, Rick Berman was primarily the one who informed the cast and crew. It was a filming day, and most everyone was around working. He tried to spread the news in small groups or one-on-one. Uh, Marina Sirtis, our friend, uh, not surprisingly, if you know her friendship with the Roddenberry family, took the news very hard. And uh, unfortunately, she had to film a close-up next in the schedule. So it actually took a few hours to be able to get back into the right headspace to complete the scene and then finish work for the day. Now, we have a mention here of the SS Vico, uh, a ship that is named after Giambattista Vico. Now, that Vico was from Naples. He was an Enlightenment-era philosopher. The ship itself is an Oberth-class ship, and we first saw that as the USS Grissom in Star Trek III. But fear not, they did not destroy the Grissom model for this. The Vico was purpose-built as a new model in damage mode. Now, we also have one of those big replicators from the replicator store making a guest appearance on board the Vico. Kind of hard to see, but it's in there. (laughs) And uh, we, of course, have a call back to Row, Row, Row Your Boat, which was sung around the campfire in Star Trek V. Now, let's talk about guest stars. We have the transporter chief, this time played by Harley Venton. He's named Hutchinson as the transporter chief, but we already saw a guy who looks exactly like him called Ensign Collins in the episode Ensign Row. Give you a hint, same actor, different character. <laughs> we also have Stephen Einspar, who plays the teacher in this episode. His only other filmed credit is on Lois and Clark. Outside of that, he has mostly racked up theatrical credits. And finally, we have Joshua Harris playing Timothy. Now, as a child actor, Timothy got a lot of great credits. St. Elsewhere, Twin Peaks, Dallas. He was actually a regular on that show playing Christopher Ewing. Then he went to college, got a business degree, and then he went on to play professional baseball with the Chicago Cubs. No way, really? Yeah, absolutely for real. Years later, though, he has found his way back into entertainment. He has been a producer on a number of behind-the-scenes features for movies, uh, a producer on the Jennifer Lopez TV movie, Her Life, Her Journey, and a producer on Duck Dynasty. Get ready for an action-packed episode of Star Trek at some point. In the meantime, here is another episode about a child. 
prologue. The SS Vico is just hanging out, doing some research in an area of the galaxy containing mysterious black clusters when all of a sudden contact with the ship was lost. The Enterprise is on its way to investigate, and what they find does not look good. The front end of the Vico is mostly gone, and there's damage everywhere on what remains. The Wi-Fi signal is bad, so an away team will have to be sent from the Enterprise to see what happened. On board the Vico, Riker, Geordi, and Data find, well, it's, it's a wreck. Stuff falling apart everywhere, no survivors, but what's that? While transferring files from the Vico's computer, a faint voice is heard. Trapped under a beam is a young boy. Act 1. It's not easy to get the kid out of there. With all the damage and shielding in the way, he kind of beams in and out until Data has an idea. Jordy and Riker will get to a safe place where they can be beamed back. Then Data pulls the boy free from the heavy beam. They hightail it to a spot where the transporter beam can lock on. And before you can say, cue the falling debris, they are beamed directly to sickbay. The kid is spooked, but he'll be all right. Physically, anyway. His mental state might be a whole other thing, given what he's just been through. He tries to explain what happened. Another ship, invaders, phasers. It must have been terrible. But he needs to rest, and it seems like he'll be more comfortable with Data around. The boy's father and mother were both crew members of the Vico, both gone now. Deanna tells Data that it will be up to the crew of the Enterprise to help him build a new world for himself. Act 2. Data and Jordy are having trouble putting together the story of the Vico, even with the computer records. Data, thinking of their new passenger, Timothy, and what he's gone through, asks Jordy if he ever experienced a childhood trauma. Jordy relays the time he was trapped in a fire at around five years old, scared for years after if his parents were ever out of earshot. Data understands that Timothy no longer has parents to rely on. At school on board the Enterprise, everybody you remember is there. Mrs. Kyle, Alexander, Jeremy Astor, the puppies. They all get along really well, and the kids commiserate about what a rough time they've had. No, wait, wait, that's not what happens at all. That's the fake version playing in my head. Some until-now-unseen teacher is reading a myth to the other kids while Timothy is obsessively building a model of an ancient structure. The teacher asks him to pay attention, but Timothy is single-minded and not in a mood to cooperate. It disturbs the teacher and Deanna, who's watching through a window. On the bridge, they're all still trying to put the mysteries of the Vico together, and it doesn't quite add up. They know that whatever happened was inside the Black Cluster, and at very close range. Could have been a Disruptor-style weapon? Romulans? No. Breen? Yeah, who even remembers them? But those things aren't consistent with the evidence they found anyway. It's what Timothy reported that they were attacked, but no signs of a landing party were there at all. To get at the truth of the matter, Deanna encourages Data to spend a little more time with Timothy. He seems to be the only one on board that the boy trusts. Data finds Timothy in his quarters, still working on that model of the Dokaran Temple of Kural Hanash. The kid seems proud of it, but Data offers up a little android critique of his own, which really hurts Timothy. Data didn't mean it, though. He doesn't have feelings, after all. He was just being honest. Timothy goes at it again. This time, Data, realizing the mistake, offers to be a little more constructive. The pieces start going in place, but just then a call comes from engineering. Before Data leaves, though, he stops for a moment to finish the model in super-fast android style. As he heads to the door, Timothy follows and asks more about Data's abilities, but lack of emotion. It's simply something his positronic brain can't do, and that kind of inspires Timothy. Lack of emotions, eh? And before you know it, the kid is looking in a mirror, imitating Data's speech. Act 3. What's the plan here? Well... The Black Cluster, some 9 billion years old, is just full of strong gravitational forces. They'll have to push through those waves if they want to get anywhere near the center in hopes of figuring out what attacked the Vico, and Jordy has aligned the shields to be able to do just that. Deanna stops by Timothy's quarters to find the boy has become an android. Holy cow, seriously? He's now an android? What did Data do to him? Okay, not really. Uh, to shorten a psychological report, Timothy has repressed his emotional state by taking on the non-emotional attributes of Data, and he's acting like him in every way. 
Even in 10.4, Timothy barely holds back that he could really go for a Sunday since, you know, androids don't need to eat, but sometimes they like to taste things for science. Picard is a little perplexed as well, but Deanna assures him and Data that they need to let Timothy explore this as much as he can. It's his process for dealing with the trauma, and most likely, he will rebuild pieces of his personality along the way. Picard gives the order to Data that he should encourage Timothy to help him become the best android he can be. So he does. First step, android hair. Data brushes Timothy's hair into the same quaff he possesses, but during the process, Timothy starts to ask Data if he has nightmares. Data says no, which seems to reassure the kid a little. Next up, Dr. Crusher, who scans Timothy and explains in best Data-esque techno-talk that all his circuits are functioning perfectly. Then on to painting. While Data perfects a Bob Ross-inspired work, Timothy works up something a bit more energetic, vibrant, and maybe a little scary. He talks to Data, through a yawn, about how androids don't need to sleep. But it's not long before one of Data's boring monologues puts the kid to sleep for real, and Data gently carries him to a more comfortable spot on the couch. Act 4. The Enterprise is getting closer to that dark cluster, and those gravity waves are hitting the hull something fierce, even with Geordi adjusting the shields on the fly. Something is up. When ships start appearing on the Enterprise sensors, it turns out they are reflections of itself bouncing off of those gravity waves. In school again, Timothy seems a little more human. He's laughing. He's talking to the other kids. Data, from behind the window with Deanna, thinks his work is done. But Deanna reminds him that there's still a long way to go. She suggests a little discussion about humanity. And what better way to do that than over sodas and a plate from the dessert buffet? Timothy is really seeming to enjoy it. He asks Data if he likes it too, but Data's answer is a little too technical. He understands the parts, but like isn't really something he does. Timothy is a bit confused. It seems like Data wants to be human, but Data admits this is something he can't do. And without emotions, he is sorely lacking a link to humanity. It would almost be tragic hearing Data describe how he can't taste his dessert if we didn't already know that he is totally and completely lacking emotions. The waves keep coming, the gravitational distortions are intensifying, sensors aren't doing any good at all. Picard orders phaser fire, but the beams just keep bouncing around too. Called back to the bridge by now, Data's assessment is that weapons, cloaking devices, and the like wouldn't do anyone any good in here. It's pretty well settled that the Vico could not have been attacked. Timothy is called to Picard's ready room, and he's asked once again what happened to the Vico. He says that they were attacked, but we now know this was impossible despite his protest. Data reminds Timothy that androids do not lie, and the boy resigns himself. Now the story he tells is very different. It was Timothy himself who caused the destruction of the Vico. Act 5. What he describes is what is happening on the Enterprise. Everything was shaking. He was fighting for his balance. His arms slipped and hit a control panel, and at that instant, the Vico was destroyed. He must have done it. But he didn't. All the adults in the room assure Timothy that the computers don't work that way. The Vico may have coincidentally been destroyed, and there's no way he could have done it himself. But little reassurance that is now that the Enterprise is getting hit with the same shakiness that the Vico experienced in its final moments. They can't get out of there, impulse engines aren't working, and they can't form a warp field. When Riker calls for more shields, it sparks something in Timothy. He remembers the crew of the Vico giving that same order, and that sparks something in Data. He goes to a bridge computer with Timothy and starts crunching the numbers. Shields have been intensified, and the next gravity wave knocks them around again. You starting to see a pattern here? Jordy is ready to give her all she's got, or something like that. Warp engines will be rerouted to the shields, and, oh yeah, this sounds very familiar to Timothy as well. As the next wave is coming, Jordy has as much power as possible ready to go when Data announces to Picard that he should drop the shields entirely. Seriously, make it so right now. And Picard does. And that same wave that was about to kill them just glides right on by. Data has determined that the ever-intensifying gravity waves were a product of the shields. They were about to make the same mistake as the Vico, but thanks to Timothy, 
they didn't. Engines are back online, and now they can all get out of there. Back in school, it's sing-along time. How about a little Earth number called Row, Row, Row Your Boat? Everybody's super into it, except for Timothy. With Deanna and Data watching, though, Deanna asks Data if it's strange for him that Timothy is becoming more human again. Inside the classroom, Data chats with Timothy for a bit. The kid misses his parents. Data may not get it entirely, but he is glad as a manufactured intelligence can be to have Timothy as a friend. The end. I feel like I owe you an apology. Why is that? You see, Timison <laughs> was as close as I ever thought we were going to get. Nope, too bad. Yeah, I know, and so I, I honestly expected you to, like, you see Timmy all the way through this. Yeah. I'm assuming that I ruined it with Timison. No, no, I, I mean... Well, I, I think we'll get into that when we get into our morals, meanings, and messages. But you know, what what what, what is what, what is the you see Timothy moment? Hey, kid, you're not an android. Well, okay. no, but we say I, I don't know if you've actually listened to Mission Log, but we say you see Timmy a time or two. Nope, never heard of. We've got somebody that we would even more readily be able to say you see Timothy. No, you know, no, I, those lines. I, I, all it'll be, we'll just have a T-shirt that'll say, you see, Timmy, that'll be crossed out. Timison, that'll be crossed out. <laughs> Timothy, Timothy. And then we'll just go on to the next one. Yeah, that's that. good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that once we're finished with, uh, what was that one you mentioned earlier? Dis, dis, disco? Disco? Oh, I, yeah. I don't it'll, know. It'll come yeah. to me. We, we should probably wait, though, because there may be yet another uh, Timmy, Timison, Timothy crossover. <laughs> right. Tough to say. Right. So, uh, somewhere on a space station, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. uh, there is a fight going on between Klingons and Federation officers that's mm -hmm. gone on for nearly 50 years. Yep. And in the next room mm -hmm. is the prologue to this episode. Well, really? Oh, really? my. I, I, Man. I, I squeezed it all down into a paragraph. Yes. And and you don't need more than a paragraph. I mean, you, you did fantastic there. Um, if you had asked me, can you make this paragraph four and a half minutes? <laughs> Holy cats. Not the longest one yet, though. No. We, we've seen, I, I think, the longest or the second longest prologue so far. I forget which episode, <laughs> but but man, there were some long ones. And this is just like, there, there's a thing, and we got to go there, and there's a ship. Yeah. Hey, look, there's the ship, and here's the stuff, yeah. and we're going to walk around. <laughs> yeah. There's, there was one time where I was like, I'm going to watch the whole thing really quickly again. Like, so I had like the, because I was looking for a particular part. Yeah, and I started at the beginning, and uh, you know, l like you do, uh, and and I paused at one point. I, I thought like nine and a half minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it wasn't quite that far, but it, it, it was a long prologue uh, with yeah. uh, with with very little uh, going on in that long prologue. But uh, there's a lot of technical stuff that has to be worked out. So yeah, the sure. Vico has yeah has structural damage. Yeah. And and even the Enterprise computer mm -hmm. can't see the computer on the other ship because they got emergency bulkheads and stuff. But but no problem. We will break you down into atoms and just shoot you yes, right through a wall. Absolutely. Onto, you know, into a room there. Yeah. Oh. All I'm saying is, Captain's Log, we've beamed three people over to a ship. Yeah. <laughs> there's like 10 seconds. And then, yeah, right. yeah, of course, there's a whole lot of other action that you would then have to stretch out. Hey, uh, something interesting in this episode, something I don't know that we've ever seen. Hmm, what's that? In, uh, in an episode of Star Trek. Certainly not in an episode of Next Gen. An orphan. Whoa. I know, right? Whoa. There's a kid there. Oh, my gosh. And he's got no parental supervision anymore. Yeah, is, right? Is, is the Enterprise even equipped for such a possibility? I Apparently not. <laughs> I, I don't think, I do not think they are. Yeah, all right. Man. Oh, all those just single occupancy rooms on the Enterprise. I, I think about that. <laughs> they charge more for that, too. That's, yeah. that's, that's true. They do. Yeah. Um, once they're on board the Vico, I do like that little device that they use to copy mm -hmm. uh, the computer core from the Vico. Yeah. Now, I believe it's the first time we've seen that prop. And if you freeze frame on it, you can see it's just full of, like, isolinear chips, which is great. I mean, it'd be like having say in today's world you know a briefcase just full of usb sticks yeah <laughs> then you're just grabbing data as fast as you can no idea why it would produce a visible bright beam of purple light but i don't care because it looks cool yeah and it, it really tells you how far we've come since we had discs on board the old enterprise that's true which were way ahead of their time 
way ahead. Yeah, yeah I, the reason for the purple light is obviously to let people know that it's doing something. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're asking mm-hmm. for an in-universe reason, there is none. I don't no, think because right. you would, you know, <laughs> right. at that point, if you're if you're relying on light, mm-hmm. you'd want to, uh, you know, plug in like a fiber optic cable or something because any idiot can just wander in and put their hand through there, and suddenly you've lost, you know, half the computer <laughs> data. <laughs> right, right. I would think. But it's pretty cool. I'm going to go ahead and assume the transfer rate is pretty fast on that. I would think so. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't wait to get mine. Um, now, uh, I mentioned that this was directed by an actor named Patrick Stewart. Might yeah. even call him Sir Patrick Stewart. And he's a great actor, no question. And and he's also a very good director. We have seen him direct before already. He cut his directing teeth on this show, on, on Next Gen. Um, there is one scene in this episode that really bothers me, though, because the blocking drives me nuts. And it seems like a move from theater, like yes. he's directing for theater rather than TV. And it's when Jordy tells the story of being trapped in the fire. <laughs> Data says, have you ever experienced a trauma? And then Jordy kind of gets the far off look in his eye and he walks clear across the set to stand next to the warp core. Yeah. It plays really badly to me, and not because the actors are doing anything wrong. The actors are doing a perfectly fine job, but the blocking in that scene is really, oh, painful. I'm really so glad you brought that up, because, yeah, every time I watched it, I had the same feeling, like, like Data, and Data just stands there. He's like, oh, Jordy's doing the dramatic thing again, I guess. Right. I don't know, because like, <laughs> Data <laughs> would have just, like, followed him straight over there, I would think, and then, like, Jordy would turn around for the drama, and there, there's Data you know, like a foot and a half away <laughs> right? because right. he wants to hear this. Although, um, you know, then I wondered, the other thing that I got off that is Jordy like, hey, can everybody hear this? Because I don't want to tell this story once, okay? Right. And then yeah. somebody else is over in another part of engineering go, God, he's doing the fire story again. It's, you know? <laughs> right, right. Right. It's like the Federation's got talent up in here. It's, just, <laughs> it's far too much. Seriously. When you, uh, when you do the reverse shot, you do the shot of Data walking toward Jordy, <laughs> which again just serves to telegraph the idea, oh, I'm interested in this story that Jordy is telling. Right. But Data's got super hearing, right. so he could hear it anyway. And again, Jordy was already standing right next to him. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. And yet, and yet uh, Data did not ask why Jordy walked away. Yeah, that would have been the perfect follow-up question. He does have a bit of understanding, yes. Yeah, so I'm really sorry about that, but uh, out of curiosity, was it me? Was it something <laughs> I said? Did you? Why did you need to come over here? Ah, uh, well. Uh, a friend of mine laments the fact that um, on TV, and uh, particularly in TV now, but also in movies for sure, and especially when you have a bad guy, that they they speechify. And they will do a thing like they'll get up from the chair, they'll walk toward the the windows and look out over the city or something, and then just start a monologue about the answer to a question. It could be, what would you like for lunch? And they would just get up and walk toward the window and you see, you see, that is a question that I've asked myself many times, (laughs) you know, and he's upset that we don't do that in real life. But I, I think this maybe is the answer why. Hang on, we don't? Well, it, it depends on the situation. I love the way my voice sounds bouncing off the window back at me. Yeah. Oh, that's a good thing, too. Hey, uh, th- there's a bit of uh, a psychological term in here, um, an antiodromia. And that is a real thing. Deanna mentions that in the episode. And uh, incidentally, in the psychiatric world, it was first proposed by Carl Jung. Hmm. Now, when Jung mentioned this, he was talking about the shadow opposite of of the human psyche or or parts of the the human psyche. And, you know, we we tend not to self-promote on our show, but I I kind of want to just for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, A a friend of mine who is a professor of psychiatry and, and specializes in Jung was asked to write an article for an academic journal on Jung, and she interviewed me because the article is about Star Trek, about the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And I learned more about Jung talking to her than I had known up until that point, and I was so pleased to see this pop up in this episode to kind of bring it all full circle for me. So I thought that was kind of neat. And uh, I will post a link to that article because she made me sound better than I normally do. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, also worth mentioning that that word, um, enantiodromia, was used by Heraclitus, Greek philosopher from the 5th century BC. And uh, the quote here, which I thought was fascinating to sort of tie this back, he said, 
kind of out of a psychological context, but he said, cold things warm, warm things cool, wet things dry, and parched things get wet, which incidentally was the original ad slogan for the McDLT. (laughs) So, yeah. All goes back to Greek philosophy. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. So remember that when you think about uh, an an enteodromia. Uh, We also, this is cool. Timothy learned a trick from Gary Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Gary Mitchell could stand on a transporter pad while knocked out cold. Mm -hmm. Timothy can sit in the chair upright holding his painting equipment while totally asleep and not budge when data moves him to the couch. He might have been acting. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to go on the limb. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes directors or Mm -hmm. actors or actors can direct, and, you know, sometimes actors, I I can't remember. Okay. You're applying that to Gary Mitchell as well, then? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Uh, One thing that I'm shocked that did not come up with uh, data at the end and in discovering the mystery here of the warp, I'm sorry, the uh, the shields Mm -hmm. actually reflecting off those graviton gravitational waves. It's like the Chinese finger trap part two. So why didn't Data just say, hey, remember, this is just like the Chinese finger trap. The harder we pull against it, the worse it's going to be for us. He learned something a long time ago, and that guy has got a memory like uh, like a Chinese finger trap. I was going to say like a robot, but whatever. Same kind of thing. There's a nice uh, line, uh, the, the moment when uh, Timothy and Data are talking over there plate of desserts Mm -hmm. as one does uh he says to data you sound like you don't want to be an android and data says i am an android that will never change which i thought was a, a an interesting thing because you and i have talked before in our show about how data sometimes expresses it as he wishes he were human mm hmm he, he Well, he expresses it in this episode as he wishes he were human. Yeah, in this very episode he does, that, that lingering wish. But there is some resignation, I guess, and, and that's kind of tragic as well, that just, I am an android and that will never change, but I'm burdened by this wish. I, you know, I almost feel like we should have uh, saved this for the next segment, but we're doing it now, so let's do it now. Sure. Do you think he actually... So when he has that resigned, I am this and I wish, you know, and that will never change. Mm-hmm. He does then also say, oh, I'd risk pain to taste dessert, which sounds like desire. Yeah. Uh, he did point out to uh, Spock how interesting it was in Unification Part 2, I believe, or Unification 2, um, that, uh, you know, that Spock has basically tried to get rid of the thing that Data wants most. Mm-hmm. These are emotions, right? Just yeah. a yes or no. Just a yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to do yeah. the whole thing. So I know it bothers people when we really get into it. But so I guess the question I have is, um, is he is he displaying a resignation just because he thinks that's going to help Timothy like go back to his humanity, or is he expressing a resignation that's actually there? Hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> that's because every other episode is going to be like, oh man, I wish I could do this. Oh, I want to try to do that. Oh, if only I could be more the other. You know, but then when he's here with the kid, he's like, yeah, I'm a robot. I'm going to stay a robot. And, you know, whatevs. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. That's (laughs) kind of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then finally, you know, we have to mention whenever there's a food thing. Wait a minute. You're not going to answer my question? I I, I don't think you can answer it. I I, I don't think you can answer it. I mean, it's a, a lingering thing about data that we will just have to come back to over and over and over again. (laughs) And over and over and over. It's the mystery that Brent Spiner has left us. Um, So I I would say the the final thing in my my observations of this show is uh, space draws. Mm -hmm. Because um, they're there. Now, they're not particularly exciting, but they are space draws in a space glass. And man, (laughs) do people of the 24th century know how to eat? It's remarkable. It's like the midnight buffet on a cruise. They just pick up a plate and they will just take all the desserts. Does anyone know who the patron saint of orphans is? They should totally rename the enterprise after him or her. So we talked about the blocking of Jordy's scene. Yeah. Let's talk about Jordy's scene. Hmm. 
Theta wants to know about trauma and Jordy's childhood. And Jordy tells the story of the fire. Right. Made worse by the fact that he couldn't even see at that time because he hadn't gotten his first visor yet, he says. Right. So, so for however long after, he says he didn't want his parents to be out of earshot uh, for fear of something bad happening. And Data's like, eh, at least you had parents. <laughs> Talk to me about this scene because it doesn't seem to play in exactly. It sort of, it just sort of feels like we well, yeah, we need to give everybody a heavy scene. Well, anybody who's going to have a scene is going to have a heavy scene. Worf's just going to do like security stuff because he had a whole episode last week. Riker's pretty much got nothing to do in this episode. Yeah, except for stand there and go, hey, find that ship for me, really. Because you need to be told that because we're here looking for a ship, but okay. But then it's like, you know, oh, oh hey, Jordy, um, monologue? Yes, yes, monologue. And scene. Okay. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what the point of that whole thing was. So it's a little bit unfair that I did not include this in trivia or tell this to you ahead of time. But <laughs> a, as oh, we man. do, as we yeah. do, we, we like to not jump the timeline, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, because we want to take the episode on its own and see what they accomplish by the script that they were given, by, by the show that they were doing at the time, right? Right. So that monologue and that backstory about Jordy was actually written for the next episode. Okay. But for whatever reason, they decided to not put it there. Now, I, I get, and by the way, that's also to stop the hundred people who are writing like, oh, 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 but that story was in this, you know, <laughs> yeah, we, we know, right. we know now. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. I get that Data had to have a point of reference that was different from Deanna explaining the psychology of what Timothy is going through. Mm-hmm. I think he had to have a point of reference to ask somebody, what did you do when you were a kid and this thing happened? So, you know, unlike, uh, say, dating, where Data is just going to go to every single person on the ship and ask them <laughs> their dating advice. Right. I guess he goes to his best friend, hopefully realizing that this is something a little more personal, a little more intimate, and he'll just get the story directly from his friend. Hmm. Um so maybe we can chalk it up to that. Well, except should they have not... Look, I understand. You got a monologue laying around. You don't want to waste it. Right. But, I mean, should they not have... I mean, like, Beverly could talk about what it was like for Wesley once he lost his father, mm. as an mm-hmm. example. Uh, we know that Riker's mom wasn't around. We don't know why Riker's mom wasn't around, but what we know she wasn't. And his dad wasn't much better. Well, his dad wasn't much better, but at least his dad was there. But, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I, I guess it sort of felt like, oh, we're, we're just adding a bit of, um, what's what I'm looking for? Pathos, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We're adding a bit mm-hmm. of emotion to this scene. But it really just felt, it, it felt tacked on. And I guess I bring it to you hoping that there was some nuance to this whole thing that I missed. Because it really does end with Jordy going, man, that was tough for me. And, and Data's like, yeah, but not as tough as what's going on with the kids. So thanks. <laughs> but I guess I'm good. You know, that really was not helpful at all, it turns out. But, uh, but way to go. You nailed it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't. I was hoping that maybe I was missing something in, 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 that, in that monologue. Unless it was just supposed to be. I mean, yeah, okay. It gives Jordy a little bit more depth, I suppose. It tells us a little bit more about him. But, you know. Maybe, maybe maybe we do that in a Jordy episode. Like, like, is there one coming up next week or something? Right, maybe. Right. <laughs> no, but I, I see what you mean. I, you know, the story serves a purpose, but it's like they had this great idea and they didn't know how to end it. Mm-hmm. And and Data, uh, of course, we've seen a couple of times in the, this episode that uh, Data is not the most compassionate <laughs> at uh, at reading emotions that other people are having. So mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to tell the kid, hey, good job on building this model. Just like he doesn't know how to tell Jordy, wow, I'm sorry you went through that. That must have been horrible for you. Seriously, <laughs> you know? harshing on the kid's model, though, and it's not even the kid's. I mean, like, Data should have said, look, you're doing a great job, but this model is pants. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> right. I mean, that, that was his complaint. He's like, yeah, this model lacks everything as yeah. far as, you know, what the real temple was like. Yeah. Which I find is often the case with models. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It's not really as grand as, you know. Like my Dr. Zayas model, not really mm-hmm. as cool as the actual Dr. Zayas. Oh, not not by a long shot. No, yeah. no, not really. But uh, yeah, I, so I, anyway, sorry. That was, that was yeah. a total aside. He could have actually said, yeah, so this particular model doesn't do that. But you're right. He, he is lacking nuance in this episode because, you know, we need him to lack a certain amount of nuance in this episode. 
Although it is interesting because Data has been through uh, the loss of his first girlfriend, mm -hmm. um, the loss of his second girlfriend, right. um, the loss of his child that he created. He did actually manufacture a child. Yes, I believe that Data was actually present when his brother killed his father. Right. I say the loss of his father at yeah. the hands of his evil brother. He, Data has been through a lot. Are you counting and, Tasha as his first girlfriend, by the way? Oh, I totally am. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure because I was going to say yeah. there's also Tasha, but I didn't know if you were... I don't know if you were putting. I mean, that was one time. I don't know if that would put them on boyfriend girlfriend status. But it, it mattered. No, well, no, it did matter absolutely. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> yes, his first, what have you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, exactly. So yeah, D data's been through a lot. You, you would think that he'd sort of be able to put a button on loss and trauma and difficulty, even if he's not experiencing it himself. He's he's been around it. As as you mentioned, though, he lost his second girlfriend. He might just be deleting those programs when he's done. Oh man! Which oh. is actually which is actually honestly a possibility. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about, and we will talk about uh, the shields as as both metaphor and thing that the kid's doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time Data is like when he's finished, like what was her name? What was his girlfriend's name? Gina. Oh, wasn't you Gina. mean Ta Tasha's sister? No, no, no. No, his girlfriend, the one who like he was dating for a bit. Oh, 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 that, that was girlfriend number three. That's girlfriend yeah, number course. three, okay. Wow, Tasha's sister, you see his girlfriend number two. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, wow. I totally do. Yeah, I think we're learning a lot about you in this episode. Well, I, I, I'm trying to understand where data's coming from. <laughs> we'll come back to you. No, no, we'll All come right. back to you. That'll be a special supplemental edition. It will. It will one day. All right, so, so, so like at the end of the thing with Jenna, right? He's yeah. like, so are we dating? And she says, mm, no. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to delete the program then, so bye. Yeah, and that was cold. Well, I mean, you say it was cold, but is that in fact something he's doing? Hey, look, positronic brains don't defrag themselves. He's got to clear right. out that space. you got to make room. You do. Maybe this is one of the reasons that he can't achieve the humanity that he so doesn't want, because wanting would imply emotion, and that's not a thing. Yeah. But, you know, if he keeps just, you know, if he keeps not building on his experience, but just, you know, sort of tossing him at the end. Yeah. Maybe that could be the issue. It could be. Moral could of the story, really bigger hard drive for your Android. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Always Good go point. Always go for the highest capacity if you can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> so with this episode, um, I kind of feel like uh, I, I'm back where I was last week. Mm -hmm. we, we came into this segment and I said, hey, I did not get to write this out the way that I normally write out an episode of Mission Log. Um, and and we're kind of back on, you know, the same playing field. We're back to an episode with a kid who really needs some adult guidance and compassion. Um, now, the trauma for Timothy is a bit more acute than what we were exploring with Alexander and Worf, you know, mm -hmm. so a little bit different circumstance here, but, but very similar kind of world that we're in with these two episodes. So it didn't feel like a, a beat by beat, um, oh, here's the lesson we're going to learn now. Here's the mystery we're going to solve now. It was just like, how far along do we get to go through this journey with this one character to see if they come out at the other end okay? Um, something that really disturbed me, though, is I kept thinking, okay, literally one kid survives out of the whole wreck of the Vico, mm -hmm. out of everybody on board the Vico. We don't know. I mean, let's say it's a lot smaller than the Enterprise, clearly. Let's say it's 150 people, 200 people, but still one person, and that one person happens to be this kid. So immediately you've got an issue of survivor's guilt, I'm sure. And we've talked about before how it may not always be a great idea to have kids on a starship, I know mm -hmm. that was a contentious thing from the very beginning with Next Gen. And I think now we've got another example of why. Um, I'm surprised that this didn't make people re-examine the whole idea of having a kid on a starship. And I thought, you know, he could have just as easily been killed, but he wasn't. And yet it's still terrible because he's going to have a lot of emotional stuff to dig through. And let's say that Starfleet didn't get to the Vico in time. Okay, how long would this kid have been there alone and terrified on a burning ship? I mean, that's just a, too horrible a thing to even contemplate, right. that, that that was another possibility of this story. It was already at least two days by the time the Enterprise got there. Right. So there's a kid trapped under that thing for at least two days by the time they got there. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that I harp on the orphan thing, 
but this one just got me all kinds of depressed about it. You know, it's one thing for, say, Wesley has been through the trauma of losing a parent, but his other parent is around until she's not because she has decided to go take a day job, a desk job, you know, right. back at Starfleet. But then she comes back. This kid has literally, as Deanna says, has lost his whole world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it was, wow, it, it was an incredibly depressing idea. And and I see this over and over again in Star Trek. And maybe it's just sort of a thing that the writers fall back on from time and time again to say, like, okay, well, we need to create a character who has all these facets to their personality that might make them a little bit damaged or might make them a little bit vulnerable to whatever conflict we're going to have going around. Perfect. We'll make them an orphan. That'll be our entry point to tell this story. Roger Ebert hated the movie Aliens. I mm-hmm. seem to remember Roger Ebert hated the movie Aliens, and the reason he hated the movie Aliens was because of Newt. Hmm. And it wasn't that he hated Newt, it was the fact that he hated the fact that James Cameron, it was James Cameron who did Aliens, right? Yes. It right. was, uh, yeah, okay. It was the fact that James Cameron basically made all of the action hinge on whether or not this kid would die. So when you say, when you say, you know, maybe this is a thing that the writers fall back on, kind of seems to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeremy Astor, we got some really interesting stuff out of Jeremy Astor. Um, got more interesting character stuff around Jeremy Astor, I think, than we got from Jeremy himself. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the name of the kid that was Riker's son when Min showed back up, but the whole thing turned out to be fake, and his kid was actually like a you know giant bug kid. Yeah. Right? But it's right. the same thing, really. I mean, he was a child that was left because of you know like some sort of tragedy. Um, yeah, now we've got... Um, got what's his name here i've already forgotten <laughs> timothy. timothy you see you see his name is timothy yeah you see yeah so i mean i mean maybe that is what they're doing maybe it's just easier to put a because we were all kids maybe we can't all you know sympathize with the oh I'm, I'm growing old and i'm losing my faculties or oh i've i've been jilted by someone but we were all kids at one point we can all sort of maybe right glom onto that loss theoretically maybe um, I do want to talk about a slightly different topic here. Uh, Data mm-hmm. is the guy who gives the order, and and not only does he give the order, he he gives um, he gives Picard the look. <laughs> he stares Picard down. He gives him the look, and it's kind of like Data on that other ship giving orders mm-hmm. to uh, the first officer who did not want to take orders from an android. Right. Um, he doesn't raise his voice, but he gives him the look, and I thought. You know, okay, Picard trusts Data, but Data has also gone nuts a couple of times and uh, and nearly caused fatal problems for the crew. Should Picard so easily just trust whatever he's saying? Um, <laughs> fortunately, he knows the science better than anybody, right? And and he knows the kid better than anybody at this point. But um, yeah, there's something about that that I thought was uh, it, it was it was good drama, but it was also just kind of funny to see the look. <laughs> there was something about it that just kind of stopped me at a certain point. Like, wow, he's he's given Picard the look, and and will that ever come out again? That Data will just give him the look? Like, nope, I'm I'm usurping your authority right now in front of everybody. You know, and that's that's really interesting. And like, and is Picard thinking? You know, and behind Data's eyes was the message: Look, it'll be easier and quicker this way. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Oh, actually, yeah. we live. Oh, far yeah. out. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because there is somebody else on the ship that can do that. Guinan. Right. Guinan's like, hey, I want you to talk to my friend Roe. And Picard's like, yeah, Roe is supposed to be in quarters, and the reason is because I said so. And Guinan's like, yeah, but I want you to. I'm going to give you the look. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now. Man, I can't take that look from you or Data. So, uh, yeah, you, you go away. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to your friend. Well, that is something good about a captain, though. And we've made this point from the beginning with the original series that the captain doesn't have to be right all the time. The captain has to know when to take advice from others, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And sometimes you have the luxury of time to do that, where Kirk could ask Spock, what do you think? And he could ask McCoy, what do you think? And Picard can ask, you know, if he takes the time to do it. But in this case, there is no time. So if there's no time, you got to break out the look. <laughs> We are nearing the end of this episode. You see, Timothy has learned to be human again. So, what can we learn from hero worship?
So, John, I want to give people uh, sort of a little behind the scenes here. Mm-hmm. We've talked yep. plenty of times about how we don't check each other's notes or anything like that right? Uh, beforehand. Um, I had something, and then we, people have heard us say, oh, maybe we should talk about that next segment, or maybe that should have been the last segment or something like that. Yeah. I had something that I, uh, that I wanted to hit in the last segment, but then I realized I would have nothing for this segment. <laughs> and also, it seemed like it might belong here. So normally we come in and say this is the part of the show where we talk about messages, morals, and meanings and try to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. And one of us will say, which one do you want to start with? And the other invariably will say, now let's start with whether the episode holds up. Right. I don't want to. Okay. What I want to do is I want to start with, uh, with messages, and I want you to ask me about the message in this episode. All right, Ken. Well, in a strange episode where we've talked about how our our approach was a little bit different on this one, mm-hmm. and I blame last week, starting with last week, the, the approach changed a little bit here, um, then, then I'll ask you to kick off our final segment here with uh, telling me and our listeners what you think the messages are for, uh, for hero worship. Well, it's interesting that you should ask, John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, what I found, actually, and we didn't talk about the B-plot at all in this episode much. I shouldn't say we didn't talk about it at all, but we, we mentioned it. You mentioned it in the recap, but we didn't really talk mm-hmm. about it a lot. And I will tell you, uh, the dealing with the Black Cluster is actually the most interesting part of this episode to me, and it's also the one that brought me to any kind of appreciation for this episode. Really? Um, it honestly reminded me of Times Squared. They hmm. had to do exactly the opposite of what seemed sensible to survive, Right. Mm-hmm. In Times Square, they had to go. They had to head towards the thing that they thought would destroy them to avoid being destroyed. And in this episode, they have to drop their defenses. They have to lower their shields in order to not be destroyed by the thing that's coming right at them. Mm-hmm. And this is actually what Timothy had to do as well. He decides mm. that he wants mm-hmm. no emotion because he wants no pain. But if there's no emotion, then there's also no pleasure. He can taste dessert, but not enjoy it. Yeah. If if he's you know if he's if he's really de- you know devoid of emotion or devoid of feeling, and of course he's never going to be able to not taste dessert without doing something drastic. But the, I mean, the point is, he begins to understand that that if he if he rids himself of emotion, he's ridding himself of both the good and the bad. And so he has to go ahead. He basically has to drop his shield. Yeah, he has to he has to go ahead and accept you know the painful part, or go ahead and accept the risk. And even and Data even says that like I, I would risk feeling bad. If I could taste my dessert, he's got he's got to drop his shields if he's going to uh, if he's going to well ultimately survive. I think. Plus, he's never going to enjoy singing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat" as much as everyone else in the Star Trek universe apparently does. <laughs> right. So, um, and and it was it was actually a discussion um, about the Black Cluster and about how like totally disjointed those two things were. That that you know, it was, my wife actually said, "You don't see those as related." <laughs> mm. You know, so it was mm. good of her both to enlighten me and make me feel like an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you, you yeah. don't see that. But um, once she said that, because honestly, I was coming into this episode, and I won't even say with trepidation. I was coming into it with loathing, wow. figuring out how we were going to talk really? about this. And it was only that juxtaposition. It yeah. was only that, you know, seeing those two things together. Um, or, and seeing how those two things work together. Now, they don't work together perfectly. I honestly mm. wish they were a tiny bit more bonk-bonk on the head because it's like, oh, they dropped the shields on the Enterprise and everything's fine, right? Mm. Whereas Timothy drops his shields and now he's in pain. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they're not a one-for-one correlation, but I, I do see them as a correlation now. And um, and that, to me, is, is probably the biggest episode of The Message. I mean, that, you know... Whether it's running from pain or divorcing yourself from pain or just not admitting pain, okay, great. So you don't feel the pain, but you don't feel anything good either. And and that, yeah, I guess that's that's a, a decent message of the show. Certainly, that's the one I walked away with. What about you? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, when we first got to this episode, and really before I'd watched it, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I'd started it up, and I was like, oh yeah, that's the one with the kid, and he likes data. And I started to put the pieces together in my head where I thought the episode was going, and I started to try to come up with those morals, meanings, messages before we got to the end of it, which is not fair, but you kind of can't help yourself when it's a show you've seen before, mm-hmm. right? And and we're sort of in this mode doing our show where, where we're trying to sort of fill out our production timeline, you know, as efficiently as we can. So I, even before I got to it, I was watching it thinking, okay, what are we going to pick up from this kid? 
is there something here about individuality? Is there something here about being yourself and and not trying to be like other people? Is it just sort of this little flight of fancy? Are we going to get anything like that? No, I, we really just stuck with the idea of trauma and and the kid dealing with trauma, and then a little bit of data, sort of adding to what makes him tick, adding to where he falls on the spectrum of emotions or no emotions. Now, as far as messages from that, um, I come back to the same line that I think really intrigued the both of us, which is I will gladly risk feeling bad at times if it meant I could taste my dessert, a.k.a. Data needs his pain or someone's pain. Yeah. You know, he needs pain. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, He needs pain just flat out um and apparently according to your theory he has been erasing the pain every time it uh it creeps into his positronic brain well no that um, wasn't that wasn't my theory it's just something that happened with uh jenna i yeah, mean it, 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 i was joking about it but yeah it's yeah. a possibility i don't know that he's erasing yeah. pain necessarily he's erasing experience maybe mm-hmm. like he it doesn't it, it does not compute Emotion does not compute in his world, so he's ridding himself of that emotion. But, of course, in ridding himself of that emotion, that could be why it does not compute. Maybe yeah, if he tries to that. synthesize five of them instead of just kicking one out at the end of every episode. Which is not right. – I mean, maybe he's not even doing that. It was just interesting that that is what he chose to do at the end of his um, – the one established girlfriend he ever had. I don't know how many of you <laughs> think he had, but, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, but that, that could be part of Data's problem, you know, and, and it could be this – ability that he has to compartmentalize and erase things that are potentially painful that are then stopping him from putting together a complete picture of human emotion. So I I, I like that line and I like that scene a lot. I like what we get out of it. But then there's another message there that I thought was the learning moment for Timothy, Mm -hmm. which is that, you know, I talked about last week how failure is not failure. And particularly in science, failure is not failure. Um, Mm -hmm. There are things to be learned from it. And similarly, there's something here for Timothy, which is sometimes you're not to blame. Because sometimes nobody is to blame. To coin a phrase, stuff happens. (laughs) And we have every right to feel bad about it. And we have every right to examine it and try to understand it. But then we have to move on. Uh, because sometimes placing blame isn't necessarily the right thing to do or the appropriate thing to do. Um, so, you know, it's easy to see why Timothy would feel the way he does, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't something as simple as, oh, I, I hit the thing with my arm and then the ship blew up. Regardless of that, he still lost his parents in that damage on the ship and he lost everybody else who was on the ship. Right. So like I said earlier, there is some survivor's guilt there mm-hmm. and that would be inevitable. Um, but ultimately we can't sort of assign agency to the idea that that is for a reason or there is blame to be had in that. It's a horrible thing that happened. It's terrible to say to somebody in that position, you have to get over it. That's not what I'm advocating here. Um, but at the same time, you can't just lay blame on yourself and think that that would make it better because it won't. So I, I found those messages there, and I, I think they certainly hold up. Mm-hmm. Now, are you saving the idea of the episode holding up until the very end here for a reason? No, I just wanted to get to the part about the messages first, honestly. Okay. I, it's, I mean, I, I don't know whether this episode holds up. It was only hmm. in discussing the episode afterwards that I found any value in the episode. Mm-hmm. Watching it the two or three times that I watched it this week, um, I, I it felt like another after-school special. I mean, does the episode hold up? It's not the worst episode, and yet I found myself inordinately angry about it. Mm. I don't know why. Wow. I think well, I think because again we're doing the, I think because again we're doing the uh, we're doing the episode of family. I, I feel like I'm watching a family drama for the past few episodes of Star Trek. I don't feel like I'm watching Star Trek. And that part is, is kind of starting to get to me right this minute. Um, yeah. I know there's other stuff coming. So I'm not, I'm not worried that this is all we ever get from now on. But, but I, I, you know, twice in a row especially, I found myself really, uh, really kind of bothered by that. That said, um, Kid's not a bad actor. Mm-hmm. Kid's too old for the part, but you want a kid that can act. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I feel like, you know, eight is about when you should stop saying, you know, I'm an android. 
Mm-hmm. And you get to start again when you're like 35. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> or, you what know, you did. Whenever. Okay. Yeah, somewhere yeah, around there, yeah. 35, 38. Okay. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. You get to start again at some point. But I mean, I felt like this kid was a little bit too old. Not to say that the kid shouldn't have, you know, just scads of problems after this. But I felt like he was too old to suddenly say, I am an android. Um, unless he's going to have like a serious psychotic break, which would also have been an interesting thing to see. Sure. Um, but it kind of felt to me like it needed a younger kid, but you also needed a kid who could act. Um, hmm. And I think they made the trade uh, to have a kid who could act instead of trying to get a six-year-old or you know a seven-year-old um, mm-hmm. uh, to convey mm-hmm. the same kind of uh, the same kind of uh, distance and emotion. So hmm. I mean, it's fine. It's I mean, it, it's it's slow. It it is a very slow-paced episode. Um, but I don't have a problem with slow-paced episodes, except for the prologue. Prologue was far too long. I'm pretty sure the prologue is still happening right now. I feel like if you were right. true to the spirit of this episode, uh, you would actually still be doing the recap and you would just be finishing the prologue now. <laughs> it, I mean, it's I, I, I almost want to say pass on whether or not huh. this holds up because for some reason I just found myself ridiculously upset. <laughs> wow. What? what? Wow. I know. I know. It's really yeah. – I'm a little worried about me, honestly. Yeah, I am too, but I always have been. Yeah, well, I don't I don't blame you. What about you? Well, you know, I, I think the only fault of this episode is that it falls when it does, and it comes right after a reintroduction to Alexander. Mm. And then, like I said in my recap, we go to school, and there's no Miss Call. Right. And there's no Alexander. And still, where the heck is Jeremy Astor? Yeah, no kidding. Um yeah, so it, we can chalk it up to maybe the limitations of TV production in the <laughs> early 90s. I'm sorry. You don't think Worf sent him to Klingon boarding school, do you? Oh, he sent Jeremy uh, as well as Alexander? Well, he didn't he, send he Alexander. He up all the kids? Alexander's yeah. there, but they are bonded, and he may think, oh, I know what's best for my brother. He's going to Klingon boarding school. Oh, man. Maybe yeah. he did. Yeah. As, as a little blonde human, he should have no problem at Klingon right. boarding school. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it'll be good for him. Man. It'll build character or kill him. Oh, this makes me feel even worse about <laughs> Worf's horrible fatherhood. <laughs> Oh, Just. stop that. It's, oh, no, they're no, brothers. No, I they're won't. brothers. It's not fatherhood. They're, they're bonded as brothers. It's okay. Whatever. He's, he's got <laughs> family problems no matter what the relationship is. Yeah, so. out, out whatever the Klingon word is for wazoo. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry I interrupted but, you, though. I apologize. No, no, it was fine. It was a worthy aside. Um, so there's a big problem with this episode coming when it does. Mm-hmm. And and I look at it sort of in this long line. Okay, we got rid of Wesley. We got rid of Jeremy Astor. Alexander just sort of pops in from time to time. And there's a whole just a bucket load of issues that need to be, you know, <laughs> unpacked with him and his relationship to Worf. Star Trek has had a real problem with how to treat young people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really know how to write for them. It doesn't know what to do with them once you've got them there. Um, we were able to redeem Wesley somewhat by bringing him back the way we did. And we gave him a girlfriend and, and he got to save the day, but not in just a horrible way that made you cringe. Mm -hmm. Every now and then Star Trek gets it right, but more often than not, it's just awkward. And I think this is one of the better attempts, maybe not totally successful, but it's one of the better attempts at telling a story about a child. Um, Mainly because you can immediately get where he's coming from. You know, they they lay out exactly what happened, so you you kind of get it. I think even as adults, we can kind of identify with the idea of wanting to retreat and back away from our problems. Mm -hmm. So raise the shields, uh, as it were, that you put it. Um, And it also does something which is effective for the rest of the cast of Star Trek, which is a golden rule when you have a guest star on which is he still tell the story about the people who are the main cast members. So we got to dig a little deeper into data with this as well, and we got to learn something about Geordi, even if that was misplaced. So all the attempts are there. I think it mostly works. Um, there's not a lot of new ground here. Uh, see what I did there? With, uh, <laughs> you yeah, said right? the title uh-huh. of Clever, last week's right. episode, yeah. Yeah, um, so there's not a lot of new ground being being broken here, but it, it's there's something about it that's sweet. It's straightforward. The kid's a good actor. Mm-hmm. So for all those reasons, it still kind of holds up for me. And, and talking to you about what the different morals, meanings, messages are, I, I think I've just improved my appreciation of this episode a bit. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't saying, yeah, of course you did because you were talking to me. I'm saying, yeah, I, there, <laughs> there ended up being more there than I thought was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I will probably put this, you know, sort of in the same category that I put one either last week or the week before. No, it wasn't the week before because I loved um, A Matter of Time. I'm yeah. Probably in the same as last week. Okay, it's fine, but I don't think I'll be watching it for entertainment value again. I mean, it yeah, it tells you something. You learn something. It's starting to feel a little after school, especially though. I mean, that's that's my that's yeah. my one issue. And and if that doesn't, we don't break that trend soon. <laughs> I'm starting. Right. I'm no. starting the moonlighting podcast early, dude. Right. No, like I said, this episode falls at the wrong time. Yeah. That that's the problem with it. And you know, we can say it as many times as we want for various episodes of the next generation. There are certain things that feel dated. If it had been made at a different time, it would have been handled differently, but that, that'll just apply for anything that's 25 years old at the, you know, as of this recording, <laughs> come back to it. Another 25. We'll see where we are. Mission log is produced by Roddenberry entertainment, executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about all kinds of stuff with Roddenberry tied to it at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Violations. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at Warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. That's pretty good, right? We can, just, we can do that one. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Just end it there. And transmission. 